Hello, I'm Anthony Scaramucci, and this is Open Book, where I talk with some of the brightest minds out there about everything surrounding the written word, from authors and historians to figures in entertainment, neuroscientists, political activists, and of course, Wall Street. Sorry, I can't resist. Before we get into today's episode, if you haven't already, please hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. We all love a review, even the bad ones. I want to hear the parts you're enjoying or how we can do better. You know, I can roll with the punches, so let me know. Anyways, let's get to it. My conversation with Jenk Uger on today's show is the perfect example that people have so much more in common than they realize if we just take the time to listen to one another. In our polarized society, we need people like Jenk to cut through the noise. His new book does exactly that. It's truthful, honest, and paints a picture of the aspirational America many of us hope to see again, no matter what side of the political field we find ourselves on. So joining us now on Open Book is Jank Uger. He is the host and founder and CEO of the Young Turks. He's written a soon-to-be bestseller, Justice is Coming. I love the title. Also love the lightning bolt. Uh, how progressives are going to take over the country, and America is going to love it. I have to tell you, as a conservative, when I read the title, I got scared. I could feel my sphincter tightening up. Okay, as, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. Then I read the book, Jank, and I'm like, okay, I agree with so much in this book. So I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about like, oh, people say, oh, that you're a rhino or something. Then no, I'm a, I'm for, which I believe you're for an aspirational economy where we give people the tools necessary to go forward. Okay. And see if they can make something of themselves. Okay. As opposed to letting them fall through the, uh, the net, if you will, and smash themselves. Fair enough. Or yeah, no? absolutely. Anthony. And I, I appreciate you being super open-minded about it. And I, but you're not alone. Uh, a lot of conservatives who are reading it are saying, wait a minute, I kind of largely agree with a lot of these things. And it's uh, partly because there's a difference between uh, the Republican Party and just Republican voters, right, which I partly explained in the book. And so uh, the Republican Party often misrepresents what Republican voters actually want. And secondly, there's huge misconceptions about progressives and what progressives want. And so when you get rid of like a lot of the lies in the media and among the political parties, you wind up realizing, oh, my God, we actually agree on a lot of things. Yeah. And journeys, I don't think are that dissimilar, but I want you to tell our viewers and listeners about your journey, dovetail it into the Young Turks. Talk to us about the Justice Democrats. Yeah. So I actually started out as a Republican when I was a kid. I came to the country when I was eight years old uh, and we uh, grew up in a suburb of New York in central Jersey. And my dad ran a small business. uh, And by the way, we were chased out of Turkey by communists. And so we started out as Republicans, logically so, right? And and the media back then has made Ronald Reagan look like a demigod. So I thought, obviously, you go with Reagan, right? Uh, and I, but I was a liberal Republican. I was liberal on social issues and and conservative on economic issues. And so uh, eventually, the Republican Party left me. I mean, there's no liberal Republicans left, obviously. Uh, I think semi obviously. There's a couple hanging around, right? And uh, and when uh, Bush started the Iraq War, I'm like, I'm all the way out. I don't want any piece of this. Okay, and then I it came to realize over the years that uh, progressives actually have the right answer. So who's who are progressives? People like FDR, uh, JFK, LBJ. Uh, by 
by the way, Teddy Roosevelt too. So there's Republicans and Democrats who've been progressives. It just means that you're sticking up for the average guy and not for the elites. And so like, for example, FDR was vicious in fighting against the powerful uh, elites. Uh, these days they lie to you. The mainstream media does and tells you, oh no, Democrats are supposed to be soft and weak and just float away like a goddamn cloud, right? No, FDR and LBJ kicked the living crap out of their opponents. And that's how you're supposed to be. You're supposed to fight for the people. It's interesting. The word progressive is now thought of as a left-wing idea, but Teddy Roosevelt was a Republican. So uh, rightly or wrongly, let me just test this theory on you. Um, We're only as good as the lower part of our economic strata. And I think Teddy Roosevelt understood that, believe it or not. Henry Ford understood that. It's a very famous story about uh, Jacob Rees, the Dutch journalist in the early 1900s, showing Teddy Roosevelt, who was an aristocrat, the squalor in East New York and the housing tenements that were actually collapsing on each other on the immigrants. And he really pushed for building code safety in New York uh, as a public servant. And then he said, hey, if we don't protect these people, uh, he told the robber barons as president, you know, they're going to come at your house with like tiki torches and shotguns uh, if you don't give them good living standards. Henry Ford went back and said, no problem. I'm going to pay them enough to uh, afford the car that they're producing and put them in a single family house and a good public school system and so forth. Why have we lost that? We could call it no police oblige, or we could call what Roosevelt, they they could call Roosevelt the traitor to his class. He's like, dummies, I'm trying to save capitalism. Yeah. I'm trying to save the democratic system from your greed. Go ahead. What do you say to that? No, Anthony, you nailed it right there at the end there. So there's a couple of factors, but the overwhelming number one factor is greed. And it's run amok. And as I explained in chapter four of the book, we lost democracy because Chamber of Commerce came up with an idea to basically capture the Supreme Court, put activist judges on it, and uh, in the long run, allow for legalized bribery. And when you allow for legalized bribery, will uh, corporations will buy all the politicians and will live under corporate rule. And in fact, just other justices like uh, Byron White uh, warned of that. They said, this is a mortal danger to our democracy. You guys aren't getting it. They're going to buy all the politicians. And that's exactly what happened. So, and why did that happen? Because of infinite greed. You just, they cannot stop their greed. So Sheldon Adelson gave Trump $100 million twice, right? Yeah, through super PACs, et cetera, both in 16 and 20. Why? Because he wanted all of these things in return, right? He wanted to crush unions. He wanted to make sure that he paid low wages to his workers, but he paid lower taxes, especially the repatriation tax, because Adelson actually made more most of his money in China. Like, see, nobody knows that, that the biggest political benefactor of Donald Trump made most of his money in China, right? But he was allowed to buy Donald Trump. And if you think you can't buy Donald Trump for $100 million, you don't know Donald Trump. Okay. Yeah, no, of course. You can buy you can buy a congressman for like, you know, ten, five thousand dollars donations. I mean, yeah, 100%. And, and then one other thing that happened, Anthony, is then uh, corporations got super smart and they figured out, hey, we need good cop, bad cop, both in politics and in media. And as I write in the book, the good cop is the, you know, if you're so inclined, you know, the the way that mainstream media paints it, Democrats are the good cops, Republicans are the bad cops, MSNBC is the good cops, and Fox News is the bad cops. But in reality, they're all on the same team. And, and that's why we live under corporate rule. But Anthony, most importantly, whether you're a Republican, Democrat, conservative, or liberal, the correct answer is balance. We have to have a society, a government and an economy that is balanced. If you get out of whack, you get out of balance, then you go back to exactly what you were describing. People grabbing pitchforks. And by the way, 
So they say riots are the voice of the unheard, right? There's a famous Martin Luther King comment. But in 2020, we had riots on the left side, right? Because of George Floyd, et cetera. And then we had riots from the right wing side on January 6th in 2021, right? So both are the voices of the unheard. I know no other person on the left will ever say that about January 6th, right? But the reality is both sides are super frustrated and and ready to grab their pitchforks and do serious damage because no one in power will listen to them. It's interesting. You know, Corey Lewandowski and I uh, used to go to Bernie Sanders rallies. We found that the same people that were going to Donald Trump rallies were going to Bernie Sanders rallies. So this is a grievance. There's a group of people that were once economically aspirational in the country, Jank, that now feel economically desperational. I want to test something else on you and then get into more specifics of the book. Um, I think Citizens United is the Plessy versus Ferguson of our time. And I just want to explain that to everybody quickly. What was Plessy versus Ferguson? The, the court ruled you could have separate but equal systems for black and white people. It led to widespread segregation and it was a calamity for the African Americans in terms of the ability to integrate into the economy, into the culture. 80 years later, Brown versus Board of Education repealed that and we started integrating the schools. Plessy and citizens are identical to me. We've created a separate but equal democracy. So someone like Sheldon Adelson, no problem. Here's $100 billion under the auspices or $100 million under the auspices of free speech. But he's now got more power in the democracy than his one vote. And I guess what I'm asking you, do you believe that? Because since Citizens United, if you look at corporate welfare and you look at crony capitalism, it is absolutely through the roof. The politicians are bought, bought and paid for. Big food is putting dog shit into our food. Big Pharma is allowed to lie about all kinds of stuff because they're lighting up the Congress. Am I wrong about this or right about this? Generally right. So, uh, look, Plessy uh, v. Ferguson was one of the worst uh, decisions of Supreme Court history, obviously, and that's yeah. why you're referencing yeah. it. Yeah. And I just no want question. to give the caveat, of course, that the suffering of uh, black people in this country is unparalleled, right? So now having, and so, and as much as we suffer under corporate rule, we're not in chains and they don't take our kids away and sell them, right? Now, having said that, you're not wrong that it created a two-tier system and one tier, which is a tiny, tiny tier, the top, not even 1%, it's really the top 0.1%. They give the most political donations and get the most favors. Um, those guys rule us all. They have primaries before we have primaries and they give us our options and they say, here's the two senators you can choose from. Yes, I paid both of them. Ha ha. Go ahead and have your democracy, right? And the rest of us, um, you know, look, there's a super depressing study in the middle of the book. I mean, I give tons of hope at the end, right? Because I think we can turn it around. But in the uh, in the middle of the book, the study of Princeton and Northwestern, they studied about 20 years of policy, and they concluded that the bottom 90% of Americans have literally zero effect on American government policy. Well, that's not a democracy. That's a two-tier system where we're all basically working as chattel uh, for corporations. And and Byron White warned about this too. He said corporations are something that we created and the government need not permit its own creation to consume it, is what he said. And that's what happened. Corporations consumed us. And by the way, this isn't capitalism. This is corporatism. 
And corporatism destroys capitalism. It hates free markets. It loves monopolies. And that's exactly what's happening right now. And, 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 and it creates cronyism and, 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 and a yep. result of which it reduces the competition. You know, to, to start my firm Skybridge today, it would nearly be impossible, Jake. Uh, the first nine employees would have to be lawyers and compliance people. Um, and so they've they've killed the ability to create the competition. And the banks know that. The larger companies and I know that. Okay. Uh, and and it's just it's just a disaster. Hey, can I tell you something quick about that? Yeah. So I was talking to another progressive uh, friend who's also uh, a successful businessman. And he uh, and he cares an enormous about the cli- about the climate and about getting things right, etc. And he said, you know, what's interesting is that regulations, of course, we think on the left are necessary to make sure we don't have monopoly please make sure you don't have dog crap in your food and all that stuff. But sometimes overregulation can be done by giant corporations to help them kill off their competition from small businesses. No question. They like it. Yeah. The, the banks snicker at the regulation. They'll go on television and say, oh, we were for deregulation. And they're laughing, put, put more regulation on the burner, you know? Yeah. So the answer is balance. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You said something in the book I read. I was like, you're so right about this, but I want you to explain why. Okay. I'm going to give you the exact quote. Elections are decided by donors far more than they are by voters. So tell us why. Yeah. And by the way, there's a poll that shows that 93% of Americans agree with that. Uh, the only reason why you we don't all think about that 24-7 be, is because corporate media, which is in, as I explained in the book, both mainstream media and right-wing media like Fox News, they never, ever talk about it because all the money from the corruption goes straight into their pockets. The politicians raise, like last uh, midterm election, $17 billion, and they spend it all on media. They buy ads with it. So they got the media has 17 billion reasons to not tell you about the obvious corruption. But as I explained, the American people caught on anyway. And that's why the establishment and mainstream media, et cetera, have lost all credibility. So the donors uh, decide elections. Well, as I explained in the book, in the House, I give examples. The recent elections, uh, 97% of the people who had more money uh, won. So it didn't matter if they were Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal. It didn't matter if they had experience or no experience. The only thing that mattered was how much money they had. After Justice Democrats, uh, which I co-founded, they run without corporate PAC money. So we brought that number down to 87% for an election, right? But now it's rising back up again. And so if... There was honest media coverage about politics. All they would talk about is the donors because the donors control the politicians nearly 100%. The rest of it is all fake debates, fake theater. Well, like you said, there's too many vested interests, so that's not going to happen, you know. And so, so let me fire this at you. I want to get your reaction to it. Okay? I think the GI Bill was one of the most progressive things that we have done in our country's history. We took Jews and Italians and Turks and Irish that were growing up in the Bowery or lower middle class. They came out of the military. They could go to school. They became doctors and lawyers and accountants, and they all were in traditional blue collar working class families became white collar and literally transformed America. One, do you agree with that? And then secondarily, what are some programs that we could do today that would have that type of GI Bill effect on the society? Yeah. So uh, first of all, yes, I totally agree. Second of all, I have a proposal that I talk about on the show every once in a while. It's not in the book, uh, but I think that 
after high school, everybody should be forced to do one year of service. And so you could either choose the military, you could choose the Peace Corps, or you could choose something like AmeriCorps where you serve inside the country as a teacher or a volunteer of some sort, right? And uh, the reason for that is I'm not very pro-military at all, right? Like I, I'm in favor of the military that defends us. I'm not in favor of a Pentagon that enriches itself and uh, engages in offensive wars. So I'm not trying to drive people to, to that kind of uh, mission. But the reason that I'm in favor of it is because we've got to bring the country together. We have lost track of each other and we have lost our bonds. You know, what happened in the wars, um, the one silver lining was we brought black people and white people together. We brought kids from the Bronx and West Virginia and California and Kansas that didn't know each other, didn't share the same culture together. And they became brothers and sisters and they fought together and they bonded and they became a country and they became one culture. Now that culture is frayed and we're now in, in our own bubbles. We've got to bring people back together so that we can, we can have a shared bond and a shared goal. Well, there's no no question. And just to buttress that, you know, George McGovern, who was a Democrat from the Dakotas, he loved Bob Dole. And he said, we served in the army together and we may have been different ideologies, made of different philosophies. Okay. But of course, McGovern went on to write that very famous Wall Street Journal editorial. Uh, he had started a bed and breakfast in Connecticut and it failed. And he blamed some of it on the burdensome regulation. And he said, geez, if I had known how hard it was to be an entrepreneur, I probably wouldn't have put through all that burdensome regulation when I was in the Congress. And so what we're finding, Jank, and this is the thing I really respect about you, is that we have a lot more in common. You know, uh, when I came out of the Trump administration and I finally turned on Mr. Trump and had to explain why I could no longer support him, you invited me on the show. I don't know if you remember this whole conversation. And and obviously you had some, you know, harsh opinions of him. And, and we talked about my evolution. I got it totally wrong. I thought Trump could have been a transformative politician and broke this sort of party fever, if you will, and just started really just focused on trying to do the right thing for America and then doing something that FDR did is he went over the top of everybody, went right to the people, explained to them what the hell he wanted to do. And then they wrote to their congressmen and senators and said, hey, we're going with this guy. So get out of the way. Is there a politician in our lifetimes? that can do that. And then the next question is, when are you running for president? Uh, soon. Uh, so let me tackle it one by one. So first off, I get that idea that Trump was going to be a non-regular politician and that he could have been transformed. Now, I, I didn't buy into it from day one because I, I always thought that Trump was a con man and, you know, Trump University, Trump charity. It's just one con after another, after another. And so he's been doing this his whole life. So I, I thought, oh, no, they're going the wrong direction. Right. And so the idea is right. And that's why if you, when people read the book, yeah, I'm super tough on Republicans in different parts, but I'm also super fair to conservative voters. I, I explain where no one on the left or the mainstream media uh, explains, which is that the conservative voters had the right instinct. The politicians are full of crap. The media is full of crap. Corruption is rampant and they hate corruption and I love them for it, but they just got misdirected towards Trump. And so they were dying for an option that was not the establishment. And when Trump stuck his middle finger, tiny little middle finger out of the establishment, the crowd went nuts, right? But then Trump being Trump, instead of directing that back towards the people and trying to help others like Teddy Roosevelt did, like Franklin Roosevelt did, no. 
He absorbed it all for himself because that's in his nature. And it's me, 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 me. It's he's unbelievably selfish, right? I can't believe that you guys like the right wing can't see it. It's it's maddening. On the other hand, look at what people don't want to see, like what they won't acknowledge when they don't want to see it. Joe Biden is now 13 points lower than when he barely beat Trump in the Electoral College. And all, every Democrat's going, I don't see it. I don't see it. The Democratic leaders, none of them are running against them. Everyone in the media until very recently was like, nobody better run against Joe Biden. Joe Biden is going to, he's the only one that can beat Trump. First of all, are you saying that there's no Democrat in the country that could beat Donald Trump who always has like an unfavorability of minimum 55%? That is damning of the Democratic Party. I don't believe that. And I think anybody who believes that is nuts. I think the only person who could lose to Trump is Joe Biden. So he, he beat him by four and a half points last time. And barely won the Electoral College. And now he's losing by a point or two. And he doesn't have the charisma to turn it around. Democratic Party, wake up. So the correct answer, of course, would have been Bernie 2016. Okay. And so 2020, he got into the cultural stuff a little bit more than he should have, etc. Economic populism that he had in 2016 was nearly perfect. Yeah, they weren't they weren't gonna they weren't gonna give it to him. No way. That. Yeah, because he wasn't really a Democrat for them. You know, yeah, what I mean? no, he look, he's actually the traditional Democrat. He's much more closer to F, FDR, JFK, etc. These new guys are corporate stooges, but that's why they weren't gonna give it to Bernie. The media hated Bernie Sanders because he, he's not in favor of corporate rule. And by the way, that's also why they hate Donald. Donald Trump. So since we're in this dire straits where nobody's got any good options uh, and the, both the media and, uh, and politicians stuffed these two terrible options down your throats. So then I got so frustrated, Anthony, and I asked tons of people to, to run. I asked like half a dozen strong progressives to run. They didn't want to do it. Then I, I got to the point where I'm like pleading with Democratic governors. Jesus, any of you can beat Biden or Trump, right? Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania beat a Trump clone by like 15 points. Andy Beshear is a Democrat. Democratic governor of Kentucky. Pritzker's got a billion dollars and a popular governor of Illinois. We can go on and on. And so I beseech them. And it didn't work because they love obedience. The Democratic Party has become like the party of authoritarian rule. If the if dear leader says it, you must bow your head. That is not what the Democratic Party is supposed to be about. So I got so frustrated. I was like, all right, God damn it, then I'm going to consider going in. And so right now I'm talking to staff, I'm talking to lawyers, I'm talking to clients, I'm, I'm getting ready. And so is it 100%? No. Uh, but is it, am I leaning in that direction? Yes. Am I getting ready to do it? Yes. And is it an act of desperation? Yes. Like, do I think Jank Uger, a name that, uh, you know, 5% of the country might love, but a huge percentage of the country hasn't heard? And, and can't even pronounce and that I got, got a great chance of winning this thing. I don't know, but I do. But I do know this. I want to give the people an option, an option of not Biden, not Trump, and someone who's honest. And everybody knows this about me, no matter where you are on the political spectrum. I'm going to fight for you. I'm a goddamn fighter. I don't sit around and go, oh, golly gee, there was nothing I could do. No, I fight like hell. And I don't do it for me. I do it for you. And that's a giant, giant difference. And I've proved it a hundred times. And every time I get pilloried by the press and everybody else, and I come back for more because somebody's got to do it. 2024? Or when do you want to do this? Yeah, yeah. Like right now? Yeah. I'm not playing. Yeah. Like, look, I think Biden has a 90% chance of losing. I think we're whistling past the graveyard. But I, again, I love it. And you, you're probably going to end up getting my vote because uh, it's such a disaster out there. And I actually think you're a sensible guy and you have enough emotional security and intelligence to bring in smart people around you. So 
But how do you break through the demo publicans, okay, which is this sort of uniparty duopoly at the top? You know, the, he's the sitting president. You're going to run as a Democrat, I'm assuming, right? You're running as yeah. a – so give me the game plan. How do you do it? Yeah. So first of all, I'm under no delusion that it's going to be easy. Like I would come in and you're like, oh, Sank Weiger is finally in the race. Let's all rally around him. It's not going to happen, right, in terms of the Democratic Party. They're going to throw every kind of, you know, character assassination you can imagine uh, after me. I've been there, man. <laughs> yeah. But is there a pathway? Yeah, there's a pathway for a couple of reasons, Anthony, because we're in a unique situation. 72% of uh, Democratic voters don't think Joe Biden's even going to make it through a second term. So they keep screaming, give us another option. And the Democratic monopoly says, no, we won't. Well, okay, sad day for you. Then I'm going to give them another option. Now, is it possible? I mean, is it like super likely? No, I get that it's very, very hard. But at the same time, is it possible that you could catch lightning in a bottle when 72% of Democrats say, give us another option? Yeah. And here, let me play out a scenario for you, Anthony, that is not at all crazy. So RK Jr. nearly got to 20 points, and now he's out of the Democratic uh, primary and he's going to run as an independent, right? That's because people are desperate for a second option. If I come in guns blazing, proverbially, politically, rhetorically, right, and I get to 20 points, you're telling me the establishment isn't going to panic? I mean, if I get to 25, then there's going to be a five-alarm fire in D.C., and you know that. And then what's going to happen next? Gretchen Whitmer, Gavin Newsom, uh, Prisker, etc., they're all going to jump in, right? Because they're not going to let me win, and they know that Biden is a wounded antelope. And so if I start catching that wounded antelope, then all of a sudden we're going to have a real Democratic primary. And that's what I'm after. All right. So you're you're flying up to New Hampshire. You're going to Iowa. What's the game plan? So honestly, the game plan is mainly media. So uh, when you have bare bones uh, budget and so and by the way, we'll see, you know, look, my audience and, and everybody else that, that cares about this stuff is going to tell us whether they're into it or they're not into it. Because I, I don't, like, I'm a su- relatively successful businessman, but I run a small business, right? So I don't have billions of dollars sitting around. I don't have tens of millions of dollars sitting around. I don't have any right. of that kind of money sitting around. So either it's going to get funded by the people and they're going to say, yeah, go get them, Tiger, right? Or it's not. And if it fizzles out because we don't get the funding, then it is what it is. But just give me a couple million bucks and I'm in this mm-hmm. thing and I got it. And because people misunderstand, there's a lot of BS about politics. Oh, Rick Santorum nearly won Iowa in one of these years because he went and met a lot of people in diners. No, I love the diners. I love meeting people, but that's not how you win. It's not even close. So uh, look, I gained painful, valuable experience when I ran for Congress and I tried the uh, door knocking. I tried the canvassing. I tried every kind of thing that you could imagine. In fact, I raised a lot of money. I even had more ads than my opponents. Okay. None of it works. The only thing where that works is media. And so you've got to get into media and you've got to reach people, and then you've got to show them that, yes, there's finally an alternative. If you catch that lightning in a bottle, that thing goes 100 miles an hour. All right. Well, I wish you great success. We're, we're at the point in the podcast where I have five words I read to my authors, and then you can respond. You can give me a one word, a sentence. Uh, you can let loose, whatever you want to do. Let's go to the first word. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Republican. Misdirected. All right. Democrat. Misdirected. <laughs> We misdirected parties. Okay, we're we're in trouble. We both agree to that. Justice. Love it. Can't get enough of it. Uh, I think it's coming, and I hope that it gets here soon. Some arbitrariness to it, though, which worries me, to be honest. You know, when I think about the word justice, I'm reading your book, you know, the rich get better justice in this country. They do. This is why I'm against the death penalty, by the way. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole point of the book, which is that it's supposed to be justice for all. That's in our founding documents. And we all got to fight for justice for all. Otherwise, we're never going to get it. Exactly. And remember that you're slaves to the law in order to be free. And if we're all subordinate to it, we can have a very powerful country. But under totalitarianism, you end up with cronyism. And we're sort of getting a blended type of cronyism right now, which we have to figure out a way to stop. Uh, progressive. The true heart of the country. Um, people want to move forward. They want positive change in the world. And mm-hmm. uh, and these are the ideals the country was built on. You need to see their neighbors do better. Ultimately, you feel better about yourself when everyone's doing better. America. Love it. Can't get enough of it. And I want to bring back democracy and the idea of America that we all grew up loving. All right. Well, you wrote a phenomenal book. The title of the book is Justice is Coming. How progressives are going to take over the country and America is going to love it. I would encourage everybody, whatever their ideological persuasion is, to p- please read the book because I found it fascinating. And I agree with a lot of that book, Jank. I thank you for writing it. I'm going to be looking forward to following you on the campaign trail. Send me a link to make a donation. This way I can get everybody upset with me. <laughs> I like getting people upset with me. So send me a link. All right. All right that sounds good. We don't have it yet, but I will. Uh, but I will give you the link for the book. TYT.com slash justice. That's the link for the book. But Anthony, in all seriousness, if I make that decision and we're going forward, I will definitely send you the link. And I appreciate you, brother. All right. You got it, brother. Thanks for coming on. So Jank is right. When I first met him, I thought, okay, this has got to be some radical lefty that's going to spew all this sort of woke lefty nonsense. And uh, that's not the case. Uh, What Jank is calling for is actually the early origination of progressivism. And let me just remind our viewers and listeners that progressivism actually started as a Republican concept. Uh, The father of American progressivism is actually Teddy Roosevelt. And Roosevelt went to the robber barons and said, hey, knock it off. You're taking too much economic rent from the society. You're not leaving enough for the poor and the middle class, and you're going to end up causing a revolution. Okay, They're going to be coming at you with their shotguns and tiki torches while you're trying to eat your caviar and your drink your champagne in your mansions. And so Jank's position is an aspirational America may mean slightly less for the rich, but that's enough to be spread around in the poor and the middle class to make them grateful and make them happy. Again, the whole concept of the American dream, which led to such great success in the United States over the last hundred years, is the notion that each of us, no matter where we started, could finish someplace special in America that we could actually realize our dreams. And I think Jank's point is America today has crippled that idea and has made people who once felt aspirational feel economically desperational. And it's given rise to the Bernie Sanders of the world and the Donald Trumps. And so I will be holding out for the Jank Uger presidential run, because I think it'll be fascinating. And I think he speaks a lot of truth to power, as you learn from today's broadcast. Ma, you ready for the podcast or no? You ready? Yeah, of course. Go ahead. All right. Let's talk about the differences between the poor people in the country and the rich people. And so I want your observation from where you sit. Is that spread between rich and poor growing or yeah. narrowing? It's growing. It's okay. Growing. And why why do you feel that way? Well, first of all, there's too many immigrants coming to our country and it's and the immigrants need work. So they're taking away some of the jobs from the people that are poor so that they could get ahead. So the lower 
class or the lower middle class, there's so much competition now for those jobs that the wages that people are getting paid are actually going down in real economic terms. It's putting a lot of pressure on those people. Very much so, yes. Okay. Very much so. Okay. And so what- And I think that uh, because of that, we're getting very populated and our food is very high because I don't think we're going to have enough food to feed everyone pretty soon if it keeps going like this. Well, the food prices are high. There's no question about that. But, the, you know, there's a, there's an abundance and of food. And the middle class people are feeling it just as much as the people that don't have money. I mean, you know, people are feeling different things. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have you, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. All right, Mom. But don't have to worry about any of that. Okay, so what what do you think would make things better, though? Like, what would be some policies or ideas that would make things better? I had a guy on today who, who is a progressive, and he, he was making sense to me, but I'm wondering what you think makes sense. Well, what was the sense to you? What did he say to you? Well, we have to have more schooling and more education and more jobs training and more technical skill training. And we need to figure out a way to get the rich to be a little less greedy at the top. Uh, it's very similar to what happened in the 1890s where the robber barons were just taking too much profit and it was leading to a lot of struggle and you know the potential for a lot of civil unrest in a society like ours. Well, I think that um, I'm not saying everyone that's rich is like that, but you're you're very well off, God bless you, and you work very hard to get there. But I think that you look at the people that don't have, and it's very easy for you to help. And I think more people that are in that league should help the poor and, and place them, maybe even in their yard doing landscaping or nannies, you know, after they've been screened. They can't just hire anybody, but, you know, they have to give them an opportunity to sh- to show what they're all about. Right. But you, there's definitely a bigger spread between the rich and poor than when you were a kid. Yes or no? Absolutely. And the crime rate is out of control. Mm-hmm. And the drugs is, is on top of the list. Right. So people don't feel they, safe they, anymore. They want to make money. And so they're willing to, to uh, have the kingpins give them uh, drugs to sell on the streets. And they get a little bit of money and they and they feel like they're making money. Okay. So more legitimate jobs would lead to less of that too, right? Absolutely. All right. Let's leave it there, Ma. Thank you for joining Open Book. All right. I love Thank you, Ma. Thank you, All right. Love you. All right. Bye. I am Anthony Scaramucci, and that was Open Book. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. While you're there, please leave us a rating or review. If you want to connect with me or chat more about the discussions, it's at Scaramucci on Twitter or Instagram. You can also text me at plus one nine one seven nine oh nine two nine nine six. I'd love to hear from you. I'll see you back here next week.